Hello, welcome to Typewriter Talks. This podcast features interviews with writers, poets, and other bookish folks. My name is Marie McDowell, and I'm the founder and executive director of Keep St. Pete Lit, which is a literary arts organization based in St. Petersburg, Florida. On Typewriter Talks, we discuss all kinds of writerly topics, hoping to show you that there is not one right way to be a writer. Today, we are happy to welcome Gianna Rousseau. Gianna is the inaugural wordsmith of the city of Tampa, appointed by Mayor Jane Castor in 2019. She recently wrote, wrote Glorious, a poem for the mayor's second inauguration, and read it at the event in May 2023. Rousseau is the author of the poetry collection, All I See Is Your Glinting, 90 Days in the Pandemic, with photographer Jenny Carey, One House Down, and Moonflower, winner of a Florida Book Award. She has published poems in Green Mountains Review, Gulf Stream, Negative Capability, Crab Orchard Review, Appalachie Review, The Sun, Poet Lore, Saw Palm, and many others. She's the Associate Professor of English and Creative Writing at St. Leo University and is the founding editor of Yellow Jacket Press, which published chapbooks by over Florida, 40 Florida poets from 2006 to 2021. A third-generation Tampa native, a mother, and a grandmother, Gianna lives in an almost 100-year-old bungalow with her husband, Jeff Karen, and their cat, Gingo. Welcome, Gianna. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for being here. We interviewed you when Typewriter Talks was a video chat during COVID, but yes. that was so long ago, it feels like. So it's nice to revisit with you. Oh, it's it's. Great to have the opportunity, Maureen. Thank you. So tell us what you're working on right now. Well, I've had a bit of a, a checkered past this year in terms of my writing. After All I See Is Your Glinting came out, which came out uh, right after the kind of the epicenter of the pandemic, um, I felt that I was at a little bit of a loss and I actually went into a little bit of a dry spell that lasted longer than I wanted it to. Um, I was having a really hard time kind of in my mind coming up with a new project for myself because I really like projects rather than just one-offs. And I do a lot of one-offs, but I really like projects. I like to get my mind around something and stick with it for a while. But I was having a very hard time coming up with something. Um, so luckily, because I had a little time um, away from my familiar place here in Tampa, uh, and I was up in the mountains, I, I set aside time for myself. And I used a, uh, a technique to trick myself <laughs> into mm -hmm. doing some writing. And, and the technique works really well. And I call it... Um, being uh, writing in a way that's too small to fail. And mm. what I mean, but what I mean by that is setting such a tiny itsy bitsy goal for myself that there's virtually no way I could fail at meeting the goal. Um, but, you know, it's just like anything, even if you have a very small goal or a, a small, uh, well, a small goal that you're trying to reach, if you keep working at it, you, you accrue some miles under yourself. So while I was in the mountains in North Carolina, I did start writing and I just set a, a timer and I figured 10 minutes is too small to fail. I, anybody can do 10 minutes. But as I knew would happen and as I hoped would happen, I 
wrote longer than 10 minutes. So I've got several new poems and I started working on an essay uh, that I had had rolling around in my head for several months. And I've made some pretty good progress on that too. So I feel like I'm back in the game now. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's funny how we can like, I mean, you have multiple books and publishing credits under your belt, but it's like, if we're not writing, we're like, I'm failing. I'm not. I haven't done enough. It's just like, puts you in this place of just despair. I, I completely agree. And, you know, I've been a writer my whole life. I started writing when I was a kid. Um, but I, I got so discouraged with myself um, earlier this year and not being able to kind of start anything new that I was actually saying, oh, well, maybe I should just quit writing which is ridiculous because I've been writing for over 60 years. So I don't think I'm going to quit now, but, <laughs> but the idea was tossing itself around in my head and I'm glad that I've put it to bed <laughs> for the time yeah. being anyway. <laughs> I do remember when I interviewed you during COVID, you were kind of in a similar place and it could be because you teach and it, that takes, especially teaching like writing and English, like, there's so much work that goes into teaching um, the languages. And it's like, you were in a similar place and you had started writing your little daily poems that became a book. And I think you were just at the beginning of it when we interviewed wow. you and you were like, I am, I was, I've been stuck and I just started this new little exercise. And then it became this whole book out of those. I can't believe you remember that. Cause I yeah. didn't, I didn't remember that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely you right. So, so those little exercises, maybe there's a whole book for you of the little exercises to get stuck. Maybe there you is know, That's a great stuck, idea, right? You know, because they're the, the little, your, your exercises that you do also seem to be pretty um, different than what I've heard before. So you never know. I, those. Yeah. I love that idea actually. And um, I've started using it quite a bit with my students a lot of my students, <laughs> interestingly enough, a lot of my undergraduate students don't really think of themselves as writers, even the ones that take creative writing classes with me. Um, mm. and, and as a consequence, um, a, a number of them have a hard time getting started writing. And so I have tried to come up with some ways, and of course there's so many books and so many resources YouTube videos and all of that from people who have lots of great ideas. And sometimes I use those too, but the idea of um, starting something that's too small to fail, I think is a pretty good one. It's worked with me. So maybe it'll work with someone else. I love the title too. Like, it sounds like a title to a book. No one who's listening to copy it. That wouldn't be all right. <laughs> Thank you, Maureen. Thank you for oh, the yeah. suggestion. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. So tell us what a, a typical day looks like for you as a writer. Oh, that's such an interesting question because I don't, I truly don't think I have a typical writing day. I am not a person um, who keeps a regular writing schedule. Years ago, and I mean many, many years ago, decades ago, um, when I first had my children and I was also teaching part-time, um, there was a man in the area who had become, you know, rather acclaimed as a, as a poet and a writer. And he asked me, you know, how, what about my writing schedule? 
And I said, well, I don't write every day. I just can't work it out. And he said to me, if you don't write every day, you're not a real writer. And I was so um, taken aback by that. And I also had so little confidence in myself that I sort of, I believed him. It also like, not to interrupt you, but I guess to interrupt you, that is also kind of a very like, like if you're a mother and raising children, like you have to squeeze it in. Like you don't always have every single day. That's a very kind of masculine you have to do it every single day or you're not a writer. Yeah. yeah. I call bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Well, Go ahead. You know, if I had had more confidence in myself at the time, I would have done that too, but I didn't. So I sort of absorbed that and kind of um, believe that for a long, long time, but I don't really believe it anymore because uh, to me, what's more important is persevering, uh, not for, now, I'm only talking about myself because I know that there are plenty of people who have regular writing schedules. I have not been able to do that in my life, partly because of my teaching during the school year. It gets very hectic and I, I need a little peace and quiet to get going. Um, and, and then I have a, you know, I live uh, close to my extended family. So there's always something going on. Um, so anyway, busy life, that's the bottom line. So I don't have a regular writing schedule. What I do have is a, um, a persevering um, <clears throat> push to try to do something to nurture myself as a writer every day. I love that. I love that too, because it's, it's kind of a broad, you know, it's kind of a wide net. And um, sometimes walking in the garden and just being by myself and letting my mind roam, that's it. Sometimes it's reading somebody else. Sometimes it's starting something or revising something or looking for submissions. There's a whole lot of different ways you could um, approach that idea, but that works for me. Um, I will say that I do more writing. Typically, I do more writing in the summer when I'm not teaching. And I for many years, I've tried to devote some time on the weekend, usually on Sunday, to do a little bit of writing. So that's sort of my pattern. And, you know, I probably haven't uh, produced as much as other people who have a more stringent schedule, but I, I certainly have lived a lot and loved a lot and, you know, enjoyed friendships and family a whole lot. And there's something to be said for all of that, I think, too. So, <laughs> well, reading your poetry there, each of your poems have so much depth and history to them. I think that I couldn't see you being like a, a writer that was extremely prolific because you're, there's so much story that goes into each poem that you so you needed to have lived the life that goes behind each poem that you write. Oh, thank you for saying that. Thank you. That's a generous assessment, Maureen, and I appreciate it. And and where did the ideas for a lot of your poems come from? Do you hear a line or do you have an idea that you like really kind of chew on for a while before you work on a poem or is it all come out in one like spurt? Uh, that's such a good question, too. Um, I am so interested with how language works. A lot of my ideas come from from things that I that I see 
but when I say see, usually what I'm talking about is lines or words or phrases that I see that um, spark something in me. And so, um, or even common phrases that you hear people say, you know, sometimes that I, I want to look at that more closely and turn it on its head a little bit. So that's one way that inspiration comes. Certainly it comes from experience. I mean, I do write from personal experience. So from that, um, a lot of times it will come from what's happening in the broader world. When I say personal experience, I have tried to move beyond uh, what people in my generation used to call navel gazing, which means just paying attention to yourself and, you know, looking down at your own navel and writing about that. Yeah. I've tried to move beyond that to um, writing about the, uh, the world at large, um, especially the world that is part of my community. Mm -hmm. So, but that's personal experience too. So um, ideas come from that too. So um, I, I, I don't know, I, I try to just stay open and see what's going on. Yeah, and I think that the personal can be universal. I mean, there are like basic experiences that we all go through, and death and, uh, you know, transformation and loss and joy. And um, yeah, I think that I think that we all have a different voice that um, I, I mean, that's the purpose of this podcast. There isn't one right way to be a writer. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. You know, and I think that there's a lot of boundaries that are being pushed because, um, you know, it wasn't very inaccessible. It wasn't very accessible being a writer to a large part of the population for many, many years. And um, I think that all really, yeah, yeah, century, really? forever. I mean, you know, <laughs> so it's like um, there's all these boundaries that are being pushed and changed and mm -hmm. different types of voices coming out. So I think it's all very fascinating. Even like, I went to Barnes and Noble probably about a year ago and I couldn't believe most of the, a lot of the poets, it made me sad, but it also kind of made me hopeful. A lot of the poets are Instagram poets that you see on the shelves now. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, you've got your classic poets on there, but it's also like, wow, there's a, you know, people are craving different voices and different perspectives. So absolutely. And different yeah. mediums too. And I'm, yeah. I'm all for that. I really, I think that's, it's great because more, um, more is more. More poetry is more poetry. So yeah. I'm all for it. <laughs> so tell us how your writing, pro you've kind of said already, but how has your writing process changed over the years? Well, I love to sit down and do um, kind of a, an uncensored first draft. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, this is a, this is a writing technique that I learned by reading a book uh, called Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg. I it's, love that book. I yeah, love that it's book. become a classic. And I use her steps in my classes too to help students break through what they perceive to be as writer's block. Um, so, you know, you sit down, you set the timer and I actually do this. I set a timer on my phone for maybe, maybe 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, sit down and start writing and don't stop. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if it's coming together. You know, you just keep writing and writing and writing and writing. And then after that's done, uh, go going back through and seeing what I've got and what I want to pull out and maybe start working on. 
Maureen, are you still there? I'm here. I'm here. I hear you. Okay. I'm sorry. You went, you went away for a minute. I didn't I'm here. See you. Um, so that's what I like to do. Um, I like to write uh, uncensored first drafts, and then I really start working on them, and I'll work on a draft until it's done. I mean, I have no qualms at all about working on something for a year. Uh, that's not typical. It's usually less time than that, but I have no qualms about that. Um, I want it to feel like it's where it should be before I let go of it. So when you question, because when I kind of get a sense that at least it feels done to me, I get goosebumps. Do you yeah. have some kind of like physical reaction? How do you know when a poem's done? Do you read it out loud or? Yeah, I read it out loud or I read it so that I can hear my voice in my head saying it. I do have some kind of a physical reaction. I don't, I don't know if it's goosebumps, but, um, and it's really subtle. So I don't know if I can say what it is, but there's just something inside of me that feels like, okay, the poem has clicked closed and it's, it's just done. It's, I always envision it like a little change purse that you open that little latch on the top. And when the poem's done, it just clicks closed and everything is inside of it and it all feels right. There is a sort of visceral reaction, but I don't exactly know how to describe it. So I love thanks that, for bringing that up. I like the visual of the change purse. I just went to, <laughs> it made me think of, I just toured Flannery O'Connor's childhood at home in Savannah. Mm, mm. It's just like so interesting to see this space. Like she, her, bathroom the bathroom was where she read books and entertained friends in the tub <laughs> <laughs> and, and like it had the best airflow in the house because there was no air conditioning and it was just yeah. like it made but that the, they had like the prams and because she would probably be in her 90s she's born in 25 so um she's not considered a can you know she's considered like a pat, I don't know, not a contemporary poet, but she died at 39. So that's what the, she died at 39. I, yes. So the she image would be, of change purse made me think of her. Oh, cool. Being in her house. Right. And, wow. So, um, what would you tell your younger writer self? Uh, <laughs> a couple of things. Well, huh. That's such a good question. The first thing is I, I will say this, um, I think it was hard for me to be sort of an outsider poet, meaning someone who was not formally trained. I, you know, I trained myself and, and friends of mine that I would meet with when I was younger. Um, I, I was part of a critique group for 12 years when I was in my early 30s. And um, I learned so much that way, but I was sort of an outsider in the sense that I didn't have any literary connections. And as a consequence, it took me an enormously long time to publish anything and certainly to publish a book. I tried to publish my first book for 15 years. Wow. Um, and I, did, I didn't want to self-publish. In those days, self-publishing was um, it had a very negative connotation. It meant that really you weren't worthy of being published if no editor was going to pick you up. That has changed, of course, but that's how it was then. Um, so the first thing I would say maybe is um, you should have gotten your MFA earlier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't get my MFA until I was, I didn't graduate until I was 60. So 
I wish now that I had gotten it when I was 30. It would have given, it would have opened so many more doors for me. And it also would have um, really helped me hone my craft in a much faster, more efficient way. Because I think that what I learned over the course of 20 years, I probably could have learned in three if I had been under the tutelage of some great writers who really directed me in the right way. So that's number one. I don't regret it. I've had great experiences, but I, I would have progressed more if I had had that MFA, I think. And then number two, the other thing is don't worry. So I would say to myself, don't worry so much, just persevere. Perseverance to me is the most important quality a writer or an artist of any stripe should have. It's more important than talent. It's more important than really even who you know or who can open those doors, regardless of what I just said. Just sticking with it, persevering, keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, that that is the key to to being a, an artist. That you have done. You have done. Yeah, that. I have. So, yeah. in, in your own lovely way. <laughs> Thank you. As someone who also didn't get an MFA and has been writing for 20 years, like consciously saying, okay, this is what I'm doing. It has been about 20 years. Sometimes like every time this time of year, I always entertain the idea of going back, but then I'm like, I don't want to get $40,000 more in debt <laughs> for poetry. <laughs> well, I, I never would have done it if um, the university that I work for hadn't basically allowed me to to do it um you know they they paid for my tuition that's lovely because because it was going to help me as a as a professor you know no it wasn't just lovely it was phenomenal yeah it was great it was an incredible experience I never would have been able to do it otherwise I I couldn't have afforded it so I totally get where you are I love that though that's great that you got you did get your MFA and it's also inspiring, like to show that it doesn't matter what age, you know, like yeah. we tend to, there's such a, there's such a culture of youth. And I often talk to my child who's 17 and who's an artist, like, you know, I actually am glad I would rather experience success later in life than early, because then you always have that kind of, um, pet, you know, pinnacle that you're working mm -hmm. against and, um, I just think that the slow and steady wins the race is, is mm -hmm. the, the best kind of living as far as I'm concerned. I but agree. Different. Every, I mean, young people that are listening to this, follow your heart. Like there mm -hmm. is not one right way to do this. It's if you get the opportunity to go to graduate school and it feels right to you, go for it. Like, I think that's the point of all of this, listening to all these different writers talk about their experience. It's different for everybody. And it is, it, it isn't, is it isn't, you know, there isn't a hard and fast rule that if you don't write every day, you're not a writer. <laughs> there isn't, there isn't. So yeah, I think what you're saying has a lot of, you have, you're showing a lot of insight there. So so let us know uh, either what are you reading right now or some of, and or some of your favorite authors or poets. Oh boy. <laughs> I know it's a big question. Someone, someone asked me this about a week ago and I froze. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have like Anne Morrow Lindbergh's A Gift from the Sea, like 
standard. <laughs> like I just have like the standard things to say because I get absolutely froze. Yeah. <laughs> I was so embarrassed because the, the person tried to help me like, okay, well, who do you teach? And I just froze. And that night I was lying in bed and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I could have said blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty embarrassing. Okay. Right now. So I got this uh, collection of stories by Andrea Barrett. Mm -hmm. um, she won, it's, I think it's the Pulitzer, I can't remember. But anyway, I'm just finishing that collection of short stories, they're linked stories. It's called Natural History. I'm enjoying that immensely. I'm reading um, a, another collection of essays by Janice Ray, and I love her. Janice Ray is um, an environmental activist and a beautiful writer. And she's got a number of collections uh, of essays um, about the environment, but she's also got a couple of collections of poetry that are wonderful. And she just came out with a novel. I'm reading uh, one of her collections of essays called Wild, and it's terrific. Uh, it's, it's, it's meditations on what's happening in the environment and um, her personal experiences of camping or being, she had a, she had an artist residency. I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was in one of the national uh, parks. She was an artist in residence for like three months and she lived in this cabin. So Janice Ray, I highly recommend her. I think she is a writer for our time, uh, mm -hmm. especially with everything that we are experiencing, you know, across the planet. Um, I, I tremendously admire her. So Denise Ray, um, I just came across um, a writer that I'm not familiar with that I'm very interested in. She appeared on the recent issue of Poets and Writers magazine. Her name is Kate Zambrano, Zambrino, and she's got several novels out. Um, I'm going to, I haven't picked it up yet, but I'm planning to use, to look at her new book called, um, I think it's called The Light Box, or the, the Light Box, I think that's right. And it's uh, essays, again, essays about motherhood and about writing and teaching. Want to look at that. Um, my favorite poets, uh, gosh, there's so many of them. I absolutely love our current poet laureate, Ada Limon. I think she, she's mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, our one of our previous U.S. poet laureates, uh, Natasha Trethewey, is definitely one of my favorites. Um, I also like Natalie Diaz. I don't know if she's she's becoming very well known. Um, I love her book. It's called "When My When My Brother Was an Aztec," and it's uh, terrific. She uses all kinds of forms in the book, and it's a collection of poetry. And um, it's basically a an examination of what happens to her and to her family uh, when her brother becomes addicted. Yeah. And I'm not sure if he's addicted to heroin or, or Coke or I don't know, what, but she does an incredible job with it using all of these um, traditional forms like a villanelle or a pantoum or a sonnet. Oh, it's, it's really great. Um, and Terrence Hayes, Terrence Hayes is you know, he, he is really a king when it comes to poetry. I think he's got so many admirers and well-deserved. He's, he's terrific. And then Ross Gay is another one. Ross Gay, I love um, his, his, he's got several collections of poetry. 
my favorite is a catalog of um, catalog of unabashed gratitude is a terrific collection of poetry. It's many, many poems that um, have a seed of grief or sorrow in them, but he manages to kind of overcome that with, you know, for lack of a better phrase, looking at the bright side, that sounds way too sweet and soft for how he does it. It's very complex and beautiful, but he's just come out with a collection of essays too called The Book of Delights, which I haven't gotten yet, but it's on my list. So those are a few people that I'm really digging right now. No, oh, I love it. Do you read multiple books at once or are you like uh, focused <laughs> on one book at a time? Yeah, I do. And I also, I subscribe to a few magazines that I really love. My favorite one is The Sun that comes out of Chapel Hill. Yeah, um, and it's it's just great, great magazine. So I am, yeah, right now I think I've got three different. Oh, and I'm reading Denty Moore's on writing uh, the personal essay, which is a terrific craft book. Um, so yeah, I'm reading three or four different things right now. <laughs> I do too. Believe me, I always have a stack <laughs> of books. There's like a literally on my couch a stack of books surrounding me, and like a spot for me to sit in between it. <laughs> my children, my child's like, are you at your throne? And I'm like, yes, with my books all around me. It's, it's oh. like a little tapas sampler. <laughs> no, it's, I love that. A tapas sampler. Of yeah. Cause one might not really resonate with me, right. Depending on my mood I'll pick up another and then another. Yeah. It's fun. So one more question, what would be like your elevator pitch or like your lightning strike advice to other writers? Oh, so great. I love that. Okay. Um, read as much as you can and write as much as you can. That's it. Mm -hmm. It is. It's just like that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, as much as you can is going to be a very subjective as, as, you know, we started at the very beginning talking about, no, it's for me, it's not every day. So as much as I can, and, you know, you fill, you fill in the blank. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. That, that allows more flexibility to our modern lives and our very mm -hmm. lives. Yeah. I think that's, and then also allowing life to fill in the poetry. I think that's very um, sustainable and generative. I love that. So Thank let's hear you. some of, let's hear some of your work. Okay. Which poem do you want to start with? Whatever you want, whatever works for you. Okay, well, we'll start with, uh, since I talked about Janice Ray, um, I did I sent, I sent you listening for an owl in San Antonio, I think, right? I, I didn't see, I wasn't able to see what you sent. Oh, um, you weren't? Okay. No, yeah, so well, just read whatever, read whatever you, okay. you're happy. Well, I love owls. I have an owl that lives in my tree here in Tampa. Um, so anyway, we were, I was in San Antonio, Texas, the week that the pandemic broke, I broke out is what I should say. So um, we were there for the um, AWP conference. And as soon as the conference ended, we came back to Tampa and everybody went into lockdown. But while we were in San Antonio, we were all on pins and needles. And I kept listening to see if I could hear an owl because I had heard that they are there. So this is a poem about that. Listening for an owl in San Antonio. 
before the clock strike on Commerce Street, behind the red bud and bloom on Dolorosa, beyond where someone bent down the chain link fence outside the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center, beside the bus stop where the housekeepers and electricians are waiting to go home, talking into their phones, see sí, ahora, across the Esquire's long wooden bar in Texas, into the ripple of dark green brown that passes for a river. Among a siren, an electric waterfall, a little sonic slide through the duck flyways and the agave pour, between the guitars of the mariachi and the clinking glasses, alongside the helmets, badges, guns, and smiles of the bike patrol, around the cars, crossing tones, singing, yelling, and ringing phones that tell me I am here and she is here, tinnitus of cumulus and cottonwood, almost indecipherable, invisible as freedom above the Tower of the Americas. Oh, love it. You have such a great uh, voice too. It's like you just yeah. lull, lull me into poetry. Thank you. You're so sweet to say <laughs> that. Thank you. Do you want to oh, share another one? Yeah, I would love to. I'm going to share because we're kind of gotten onto a little bit of a nature theme here. I'm going to share um, a piece called I've Set My Heart on a Glimpse of You. And this piece is about the Florida Golden Aster. The aster, um, which you'll see, you know, it's a wildflower. You'll see it all over Florida where there's not development. Uh, it was listed as endangered in 1986, and it's becoming ever more so. But anyway, this is it. I've set my heart on a glimpse of you, and the you is the aster. You're so rare, I can't find you. It's spring and your woozy stem has yet to arise from the Florida scrub and blunt sun. Once it shoots up, your whiskery leaves will climb it all summer. Then in the fall, that's cooling later and later these days, your yellow petaled face will unmask itself beneath a plushy crown, a bloom the size of my thumb knuckle. You'll stand tall as my grandson, lanky as licorice, you're native to this place like me, so somehow we're cousins, though your kind thrive less and less as my kind crowd more and more. You might have all but disappeared. Come autumn, I'll turn myself into a sleuth and wander the hammocks seeking you in the sunny sand patches that still remain. Somewhere beyond the suburbs of Pasco, the high rises of Hillsborough, the golf courses and strip malls, eternity pools and interstate, somewhere beneath a dazzling sky. Mm, I love it. Oh, I love how you say you're cousins. Yeah, we're cousins because we're natives. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. one of those cousins too. You're a native. I'm a native and so is my mother. My <laughs> so grandmother was came here when she was 11. Oh, yeah. So we're very, I'm very ensconced in the sense of place. I haven't, even, <laughs> I haven't even, I haven't even scratched the surface on writing about it. I just, <laughs> yeah, it's a never ending pool. Florida, Florida is a, the gift that keeps on giving. It sure is. <laughs> so do you have another you want to share or? Sure. I'll read one last one. This one All just right. came out in 
Appalachia Review, which is a wonderful literary magazine that um, comes out of Tallahassee, Florida. It has been shepherded through many, many, many years by the incredible uh, Michael Trammell. So props to Michael and thanks to him for taking this. Um, Appalachia Review is on a little sabbatical for a while, but it has returned and this has come out in the most recent issue. Whatever is making that noise in the wall sounds sometimes like a shaggy dog shaking off a lake. Sometimes it's a peacock opening his iridescence. Right about bedtime, someone is shuffling a, stick deck, a stiff deck of cards, then dealing spades. My earplugs don't help, and whatever is pattering back and forth knows how bad I need this sleep. Sometimes it's someone making a narrow bed, smoothing the sheets, working on hospital corners. Sometimes it is plumping a pillow. And right about then, I get to thinking of, what if you die before me? I imagine I'll stand weeping in the shower for days, the water shushing my hair in an unending shush. Or if I die before you, I'll be my ashes sifting in some wooden box and the box has a lid that sticks if you want to visit and you'll have to scrape and pick at the bronze lock scratch and pick until all my quiet opens to you oh my god i have goosebumps <laughs> i love it thank you so is that's like a ghost in your house that you hear or is this just um, it could be the house is almost a hundred years old, but I think it's more likely a mouse. <laughs> oh gosh, but I, but I, but I'm so, I, I, was, I was I just in Savannah and had that, I had a ghost experience and I'm so, I'm so like, yeah, but even just like the haunting of losing the one you love. It's just, oh yeah, I get it. I get it. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh. <laughs> It's so funny because it's totally a tangent, but you know, I started recently dating someone in the last year and it was, it was almost like this relief of being single for almost a decade of not being so in love of the fear of losing another. Oh gosh. <laughs> and you know, and now that you're, in, now that I'm in it again, it's just like, oh God, I, I didn't miss this fear, but it's also so lovely to have a person. So you perfectly captured that in that poem. I'm so glad. Yeah, uh, it's, the, it's the biggest trade-off in the world, isn't it? <laughs> it's the biggest trade-off in the world. Oh my goodness, yes. Gianna, thank you so much for all your wise wisdom and your beautiful poetry. Oh, thank you so much for thinking of me, Maureen. And thank you for everything you do for our literary community. You're, you're great. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you all of you for tuning into typewriter talks. If you want to know about more about keep St. Pete lit, you can go to keep And if you want to support this programming, feel free to donate because uh, your donation helps keep us going and we appreciate you. And until next week, please continue to read and write on.